What's going on, folks? Thanks for hitting that download button and checking out a brand new episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade, your one-stop shop for toys, tech, and talk with some assembly required. I'm your host, Rich, and if this is the first time you're checking out an episode, first of all, welcome. Second, a bit about what we do here. Toys and Tech of the Trade is an interview series where we sit down with entrepreneurs, content creators, and awesome folks that are on our radar to discuss the gadgets, the gear, and the tech that they use to run their business create content, and of course, be more productive. Now, when it comes to the toys aspect of the conversation, it's more than just what are your favorite action figures, etc. Everyone's favorite uh, definition of toys varies. Some people are into jet skis, collecting knives, things of that nature. We use a more general definition of toys here. It allows us to get to know our guests on a personal level. And besides, who doesn't love to geek out about the stuff that they're passionate about? With that out of the way, let's get into some housekeeping and turn it over to this week's guest. Uh, first and foremost, I have to say that obviously it's been a, a couple of weeks, a lot longer than a couple of weeks with regards to new episodes. But there has been a ton of stuff going on, which I'm going to actually touch on in its own dedicated episode because I don't want to take away from this week's guest. So with that said, I'm going to turn it over to this week's guest so you can learn about the toys and tech of their trade. My guest for this week's episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade is an entrepreneurial evangelist. He is also a soldier, a creator, and a slew of other things, including a podcaster like yours truly. I look forward to sharing the toys and tech of his trade. Jason Skisik, welcome to the show. Rich, thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'm very excited. Your your biography is just one of those that are only reserved for people that are incredibly creative, because I always talk to people that when they are creators, whether it's in the podcasting space or in the artistic space, they have a resume that just goes, goes all over the place. You know, you're a soldier. Thank you for serving our country. You're a father. You're a content creator. You're a coach. You're so many things, but I want to start with the baseline, which is obviously your career in the military, because obviously that creates the discipline that leads to everything else. And what moved you to to join the service? Did you have family members in the service or was it something that just kind of worked its way into your orbit? That's a great question, Rich. So you already mentioned the spear and clover. And if, if you're watching the video, I have a tattoo on my forearm of a, a Spartan spear and kind of an infinite loop of rope that I call the spear and clover symbol. And it leads right into why I went into the military because I needed to. Uh, the the Spartan, the, the clover represents spirit of the puppy, which is like outgoing, friendly, fun, tries new things, but also kind of ADD, shiny objects over here, over there. You know, that's why I've had a kind of a diverse background. I had to go into the military rich to find discipline, to find, to find the ability to keep track, to stay on track, you know, duty, discipline, loyalty, things like that. I don't know if I was ever disloyal, but in the military. And so that's what I did. I went into the military pursuing a job as a network engineer, which is awesome. And if you're in the army, what that means is they hand you a shovel and a pickaxe and you dig holes in the desert. You put in conduit and you pull cable all day. And so it sounds a lot sexier than it is, but I'm so thankful for for that experience because it taught me how to work with a group of people that couldn't quit their jobs. They came from all different lines of areas of the country and we had to get this mission accomplished. And so it's an incredibly 
rewarding experience when it's over. And I'm very happy. What was, what was the reaction when you told your family you were going into the military? How was that approached? Usually because those reactions vary based on whether you have military in your DNA or you don't. So that's always a big driver with that. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I actually don't have direct, my, my parents, neither of them were in the military, but my grandparents both were, my grandfathers both were. My mom knew that I needed it. I think she was sad. I think she was sad that, that I had to go, but I think she knew that I needed it. My dad had always wanted to be a soldier. So I think he was a little bit more okay with the decision. At the time, I just had no direction. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of, a lot of possibilities that I could, that I could do in this world, especially when I was 20, you know, one years old. And so I think that everybody involved knew that this would probably be the best thing. And sure enough, it certainly was. I, it was, it was definitely the best decision I've made. Now you lean into the fact that you felt that you needed it. And I want to unpack that a little further because that's a, that's a very big moment of clarity for someone when they're young. Like, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. I need to, I need to go someplace where there's structure. Usually that ends up happening when you get sent to like military school or, or you get put someplace because your, your parents or, you know, academics see that you're just not, you're, you're, you're not disciplined enough. But for you to come to that realization on your own, it's a, it's a ballsy thing. But more importantly, you were self-aware enough to say, this is the path I need to take. What was that? What was that light bulb moment where you were like, you know, the military might be the move for me? That's a great question. And it kind of goes back to why I'm an entrepreneur. I didn't realize this though, Rich, until I was in my mid thirties, but I can tell you now I have the cheat code. I can look back and see it. I've always been an entrepreneur. When I was a kid, I loved snowboarding. I worked at the snowboarding hill. I loved skateboarding. I worked at the skateboarding shop. I loved cars. I worked at the car shop. I loved clothes. I worked at the mall. Well, turns out I loved pool and poker too. And so right out of high school, I was playing a lot of competitive pool, gambling, and then eventually started playing poker. This is right around 2003 when people were all excited about the World Series of Poker yep. and everything. And I did, I was, I was good. I was good at it, but I was a bad gambler, which means that I would win, 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 and then I would lose. And so it, this, this thing where I take the thing that I'm really excited about or passionate about, and I turn it into a business, I've had that my whole life. And so at the time, you know, the alternative to the army was let's continue to be a degenerate gambler that's 21 years old and, and losing money that he doesn't have. And it, it just, I was staying up till 11 in the morning. I mean, it was just, it was a very clear I wasn't doing any drugs. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing anything, you know, wrong aside from the gambling. But it was just one of those things where it wasn't helping anybody. I didn't even really have illusions that I was going to somehow, you know, become wealthy from it. It was just kind of this, this, you know, vicious cycle that I was stuck in. And honestly, the, the military, it's just a, that's, that's a, that's a, a little, little canister of whiteout when you talk about your permanent record, right? That's right. Wipe it out and then start fresh. And, and that's exactly. What was that like in terms of being in the military? Did you ever run into instances, and I ask this for different people that are in the service because it does happen, where your will was really tested, where you said to yourself, man, did I make the right choice? Was, am I, am, am, is this it? Am I going to make it? Did you have that? Only time that I can remember as a over 18-year-old person having a breakdown was in the military. Hmm. And what happened was, so first of all, yes, I am someone who now has become a good listener, but that is not my default setting, Rich. My default setting is is speaking. And so standing at, at, at attention when somebody is intentionally 
you know, misrepresenting something to try and get under your skin like a drill sergeant might was very, very challenging for me and certainly had some moments where I just couldn't help, you know, mm-hmm. but, but talk back. And certainly that paid the penalty for that. But the, the thing that I would think of was an actual breakdown was there was a period of time where we were in the desert, we were digging holes, like I was describing earlier, it was like seven, 12 hour days every week. And it was 115, 120 degrees out pretty brutal. And it's really, really hard labor. And there was this one comfort that I had given myself. And at the time, as a young man, I felt entitled. I was like, I'm working so hard that I'm entitled to this one thing. And that one thing was technically I could wear this jumpsuit. It was like a, like a flight suit instead of my uniform. Cause it's so freaking hot. And I think it's a reasonable compromise in as a, as a human being, right. To be like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to wear this. It's flowier. I can I'll be a little bit, a little bit of tiny thing, but it wasn't the uniform that everybody else was wearing. And so I felt like it was entitled. And my sergeant, God love him, who was a great leader, came into my room and he's like, you can't, you can't wear that. That's, that's not in the uniform for this unit. And I'm like, but it is. And I, I lost it. I was, we were, we were like eight months into this very, very difficult, very, very stressful deployment. And I just like a baby. Wow. I was like, I was like, oh, go and I'm like, you're going to have to lock me up. Oh, and lost. I've never. And so listen, man, as I'm even telling this story, there's just hundreds of thousands of much worse stories that people have lived through. But this was a moment for me where it was like, that was, that was where I broke. I, I broke that moment. And, you know, to his credit, he, he recognized it for what it was and kind of let me take a breath and get my shit together. And then he, he put it on me a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to look at it like this, I think. And I'm a firm believer, iron sharpens iron, you know, and pressure creates diamonds and think about it. You went through that breakdown. And if the leader of the unit would have folded and would have said, you know, we're throwing you in the brig or you're being insubordinate or they would have discharged you, everything you've accomplished thus far would have been undone because of a jumpsuit. And I'm, and I'm sure you reflect on that now, like, man, you know, like that's, and you know, I, I had a, a soldier a while back, we were, we were, talking for a podcast and he said you know military kills he said military kills your inner bitch you know he, he was like he's like you know you get in there and it's you know they you get you get carved out in there and i remember he was talking about training for harris island and he he was like you know that'll you you ring that bell you go home and i was just you know like it's it's intense and i can imagine especially doing that you know you're running cable you're in the desert a million things could go wrong between the elements, whatever's out there, and you know the 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 element that's out there. It creates a bunch of variables. Did you ever run through that those scenarios in your mind? Like, man, what am I going to do if I'm out here and something pops off? Like, how did that? How are you wired for that? Because I ask because those types of situations create a different level of awareness than day to day. Yeah, it's a great question. So, for starters, what, what I did wasn't combat but what i did was we lived just like everybody down there lived in the middle of a a war zone and so you know there were there was mortar fire coming in every day there was things happening around us that were very unpleasant right we lived right next to a prison so we'd walk go to lunch and there's 12 guys on their knees with black bags on their heads and i think honestly at that age i was cut out for it like very quickly i mean we would we'd be playing back i remember one day we were playing basketball and Orders were going off and you could hear them kind of walking in and nobody really stopped playing basketball until it got to like pretty close. And then we just kind of like grabbed our stuff and 
went over, they have these little bomb shelters everywhere. But yeah, I don't know, man. I think in those situations, there are times where you just, you ever had like an MRI? Yes. There's that moment where you go like, this sucks that I have to sit in here and I can't move and I'm, I'm claustrophobic. It is utterly insane. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm glad I picked that example then because it's like, we're here now. This mm-hmm. is what we're doing. And I can either choose to be in terrible, terrible anxiety and upset and, and da da da, or I can fucking play basketball. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's what we, we typically did is we would just play basketball. I mean, there's, there's again, like I don't have like wild stories and certainly, oh, of course. It's a wild situation though. <laughs> it is one of those things where you, you live where you live. And I, and I, I think about like the people that are currently going to work in Ukraine or something like that and trying to make a life, you know, while all that stuff's going on around them. And it's like the resilience of humans, man, I don't take credit for that. You know, it's, it's literally just you, you, you wake up and you go to work, you have to, and, and all sorts of things can happen. And you just, you just don't really think about it too much. Um, you know, what we would do, it's funny. I know you're like a toy guy. What we would do is we would talk about comic books. We'd talk about what would you do? What would you do if you got a million dollars, bro? I mean, like, it, there's like three things that we talk about every single day. You know, what would you do if you won the lottery? <laughs> what would you do? What, what superpower would you have? And how much money would it take to make you do something kind of wild? And uh, that, that was pretty much on repeat, man. Now, I want to talk a little bit as you're winding down and you come out of the service. What was your mindset like when you came out? Because a lot of people sometimes they have a tough time. And, and I, and I use this analogy, they have a tough time plugging back into the matrix. Like, think about it. You're, you're, you're in the military. There's a schedule. Everything is boom, 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 boom. You wake up and you're like, damn, I need a job, <laughs> you know, like, or man, I got to pay these bills or, or I just have to acclimate myself to being amongst people that don't operate at the same level of efficiency that I'm used to. How was that? How was that first, you know, month or two out when you were back home? nailing that i mean for starters i had one of those things the other two i didn't i was very much career focused when i was in the military so i was reading honestly I, it was a little misguided but i'm glad i was doing it. i was reading all these entrepreneurial books all these finance books i was reading I had a subscription to forbes while i was in the, the army i mean like i in my mind and tried to enact this when i got out thought i was gonna i'm gonna get out i'm gonna go to school for finance i'm gonna become this titan of industry and so when I, I actually hit the ground, I was using a BlackBerry with the little pearl in the middle. I had no laptop. I had no computer. And I was editing PDF documents on my phone and sending resumes. I had an apartment and I had a job before I touched down in Chicago after I got out. But it, it took a ton of legwork on the other side of it before we got out. I think that was definitely something I was proud of at the time. But you're dead on about it feels like I'm moving in fast forward and everybody else is moving in jello. Yep. I remember that very distinctly. There, there's a few things that I remember that one in particular, but there's another one too. I remember getting out and having spent four years, I just to set the scene, I didn't have a girlfriend. I wasn't, I had friendships. I had hard work. I had honor. That's what I had when I was in the military. I just, I didn't do anything that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't look somebody in the eye about. And so I just remember getting off the plane or getting back released into Chicago. And I was walking around town like this, like looking for eye contact. I remember that feeling of being like clean, man. And it's not that I've done anything that I'm not proud of or, or really like lived in a way that I'm not proud of, but that feeling is rare in life yep. where you're like, where you're like, ask me anything about anything 
And brother, I'll slap you on the back. We can have a beer and I'll tell you. Yep. You're a clean slate. Yeah. It was a very, and I was, I remember feeling it at the time, even being like, feel I, the word is like pure clean slate is a good one. No, yeah, that was, that was interesting. But yeah, I couldn't stand standing in a line at Starbucks or, you know, walking down the street and people are like, Ooh, tripping all over their own feet. And mm-hmm. that, I could definitely remember things being like, and, and, and that was, that probably led me into being an entrepreneur because I, I figured, oh, screw this. I'll just build it myself. Right. With my buddies, you know? And then of course that, that habit even bites you in the ass. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you opened the CrossFit gym, which I want to get into that. It's interesting because, you know, the gym industry, much like the restaurant industry, chew you up and spit you out. Everybody comes in. Oh, I'm going to have the best equipment. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Then you can't get people in the door. And then before you know it, you have a room full of, of multi-million dollar equipment and a lot of bills. What, what sparked you wanting to, to open that type of a facility? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was in the military, I, I, I lost some weight and got in great shape in basic training, but they teach you how to eat really a lot in basic training. They teach you to eat as much as you can. And then I went to AIT and I gained 50 pounds on biscuits and gravy. That'll do it. <laughs> so I was like 360. So I spent me, I spent the first year getting fat and then I spent three years getting in shape. So I kind of had my fitness journey throughout the military. And so then when I got home, my friends and I found out about this thing called CrossFit. I've actually never belonged to anybody's CrossFit except for my own. Yeah. Because we went to the, the CrossFit in town, shout out to CrossFit Chicago. And it was like 220 bucks in 2010. And so I was like, ah, I'll just start my own. And so we found a place. It was a thousand bucks a month for the, the three of us split that and then, you know, started having some clients. And that's how we ended up in being CrossFit. We, uh, you know, I think to your point, though, about the, the industry chilling you up and spitting you out, fitness, maybe like podcasting, fitness is one of those few businesses where people will get into it not for money. People will get into it to change the world. People will get into make people fitter. People will get into spread the word on fitness or, or to, because of a strong, strong passion. And the unfortunate thing, maybe the most like tragic thing about fitness is I've talked to a thousand fitness experts, right? And our true blue world-class trainers, coaches, personal trainers, you know, whatever strength and conditioning folks that can't take a vacation, that can't retire when they get older, that can't, you know, afford to have nice things or buy a house or have a nice car. And it's because they think that caring about their clients is going to be enough. Yep. And so I think it's one of the few businesses where we come in and we think that just the fulfillment of it is going to be enough. And that's just not the case. And that's kind of what I've helped people to do for the last. I think that that's a, that's a very big statement. You know, I tell people all the time, it's like, listen, the love of the game is great. And it's what helps you get up every day, helps you put your shoes on and go out into the world. But the bank doesn't want to hear you're a nice guy or a nice girl or a nice person. The bank just wants to know you got money in this account to pay these bills. It's that simple. Your personal struggles, your, your sacrifices, none of it matters. And the thing about it is that as somebody that got into that industry, got into the podcasting industry, it's exactly that. You kind of have to be comfortable being uncomfortable with not having a seven figure bankroll. Like you can get there, but the amount of diversity you're going to need to get there is not what most people are prepared for. Because if you think about it, you, you open up a CrossFit gym, you were, scr- you were scratching an itch for yourself physically. But in the same instance, you still got to get clients. You got to pay the bills. You got to make sure everybody has the right clients. You got to make sure everybody's coaching is universal enough that it can get people in the door. 
and it creates other challenges because you want to keep that like to like to your point before that that structured approach because that's what's going to get people in there but if you end up working for the sake of working you're never going to be happy either no you actually your passion turns into a prison right yep because like what what happens is you start a company out of passion you want to make an impact on the world and then you go and you make the best food in the entire world but you don't open the doors or put a sign up you know what i mean so here you are you're cooking the best meals there is you're the best restaurant in town and nobody knows who you are and so the two people that smelled it from right outside the door get to experience this wonderful food. That's not how it should be. We need, we, you, you need to be able to, your food deserves a bigger message right? in order to, to impact more people. If you're a fitness guy, your program, your class, your tribe, your impact deserves to have the scalability it deserves. And so it's one of those things where I think we get myopic or, or short-sighted is what that means, right? Is we think I have to be the one to do it. Well, I can only help if I'm very lucky, a hundred, 150 people. Yep. If I can take what I think to be magic that's stuck between my ears and codify that into science, you know, with frameworks for an employee or a, a staff, now I can start to impact a few hundred people. Then if I, let's say, and you wanted to look at my resume, started to coach the leaders of other tribes, other gyms, well, now I can impact a few thousand. That's right. And then if I <laughs> decided to impact even more, I'd stop charging people for it. I'd go onto a podcast and now I can impact a few hundreds of thousands of people over time. And so this is just the scaling up of, of impact as you, as you level up. Now, obviously you're doing that. You're getting a crash course in running business. You know, you, you, you have a degree in finance, you, you worked in commercial businesses, you've done all those aspects. What are some things that over the course of this journey, working for yourself and working for others has been a constant. And what I mean by that is that there's certain things when it comes to business that whether you work for yourself or you work for somebody else need to be core based. What was something that came along that you noticed working by yourself and for someone else? And even in the military that you said, you know, this is a value that I need to lean in because it's important. Well, I think doing what you're supposed to do is like just a, just to work with other people. You got to show up on time. If there's somebody that's waiting on you to complete some work or some part of the, some project, you've got to fulfill on that. You have to have accountability to the mission that you're on, whether, whether that's in the military, whether that's in school, whether that's in a corporate environment or in your own business. You have to hold yourself accountable to your constituents, right? Whether that's your peers, whether that's your clients, whether that's your partners, or even just your family at home, right? And to me, that's, I, I found out that I, I recently, you know, I sold my CrossFit gym or most of my CrossFit gym. I still have a small piece when I moved to Indiana. And I found out that it's not so much that I'm a CrossFit guy. I am. Shout out to CrossFit guys. I, I go to jujitsu now and kickboxing. I'm a tribe guy. I'm right. not a workout guy. I'm not a, a, a swimming or Zuma guy. I'm a let's all get together and do wild shit guy. Like, that's what I like. And so to me, it's much more about being next to those brothers and sisters in the room, forming sweat bonds, doing what I, what, what Robin Lalonde calls elective collective suffering. That's right. It's where we agree to come in together and suffer that way. Everything else in our life and our life is seems small by comparison. Right. And so, uh, yeah, that has been a constant is holding myself accountable to others. I'll, I'll fail myself 10 times before I'll ever let you down. That's awesome. I think that 
that sharing sharing that in particular forces a lot of what I try to really push when when I have these different conversations with so many entrepreneurs is the fact that I always like to say it's uh, same hells, many different devils, because at the end of the day, think about it. We all have a struggle for a business. We're all trying to grow a business. And unless we align ourselves with, to your point, a tribe or a, or a, or a support system that you're never going to advance to that next level. I think that a lot of people live on, they live and die on the hill of I'm self-made and it's like, but you're not, you're not, you know? Yeah. I I've read, I've read outliers and I need to read it again. Outliers very much slowly opens the petals of that flower. You were just alluding. And by the end of it, he's basically like, nobody else could have been the Beatles. Nobody else could have been Bill Gates. And here are the, you know, many different reasons why that's the case. I rejected it when I read. Of course. Well, by the way, but, but yeah, in hindsight, absolutely not. Now, what I will say is you got to be awake at the wheel, but certainly this is a, this is a team effort in, in all regards. I mean, literally right now I have a 17 month old baby sitting in the other room who would be going ballistic if I had to have her on my lap right now. I mean, literally just to even be here this morning talking to you, you know, there's a team. That's right. Now, of course, no, that, 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 that support system is clutch, man. I think that people, they lose sight of the fact that a, that a partner who's willing to, to be in the shit with you is something too many people don't appreciate because it, it's like you just said, like right now you're like, Hey, I'm going to go do this podcast. I'll be out in 45 minutes. Like a lot can happen in 45 minutes that is, is out of your control, but you have a partner that's like, I got it. Don't worry about it. Boom. You're covered. And I think that people, whether it's personal or professional, they need that and you need that support system because that's what allows you to experiment, to fail, to pick yourself up. Because if you fail, that support system is going to say, don't worry about it. You're good. Get back on the horse. You know what? It's funny. You talk about that support system and maybe you're listening to this right now going like, I wish I had that support system. Guess what, guys? It's free. You just have to learn how to treat people with respect and how to give them clarity and context as to why we're doing this thing, whatever it is. Yep. Whether it's you're leading your team, whether it's you're the, the, the involved in your family as, as, as a, as a partner or a husband or a wife or a father or a mother, any, any area as a friend, it's like, we'll kind of do anything for each other. As long as we know we're in this thing together, we understand what exactly it is that's going to be required of us. And we understand the context as to why it's important. If we can convey that to people, they will walk over cliffs with you. And I, and I have many, many experiences in my life where that's true for myself and for others. Now, obviously you've done all these businesses and then you switch to, to coaching. And I want to kind of talk about that because what, what drew you to that? And I ask this because there's a surplus and you know this, there's a surplus of coaches and you're probably, you, you're going into it with the noblest of intentions. And then you're like, man, you know, everybody's out there. You know, you got the Tony Robbins, you got this, you got that. How do you, how did you realize like, listen, this is a path I can go on and I know I can do it differently. Well, that's a great question. I think for starters, I wouldn't compare myself to other coaches. I think that there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things. I think that uh, it's an industry that has a lot of, a lot of heat maybe right now, but here's what I can tell you for myself. I can't speak to those folks. What I can tell you about myself is I, when I committed to my business to be full-time, to be a full-time entrepreneur and not continue to be in a corporate world and trying to serve two masters, when I started to do that, my business shot through the roof. I don't think it's because I'm special. I think it's because I paid attention and I did the things that I was supposed to do finally. Then 
an organization that helped me to do that, shout out to Alex Formosi and Jim Launch, asked me to become a coach for them. Uh, and I loved it. The very first time I got on a call with another entrepreneur, I realized this is what I want to do forever. I loved it. Just like podcasting, I knew even before I ever hit record on podcasting that I'll probably do it forever because I grew up to podcast. But so with coaching, I've just never gotten off of a phone call with an entrepreneur where I didn't have more energy than when I got on. This is just a fact. And so it's one of those things where I don't know if, if, if coaching, first of all, I do think I'm good at it, but I don't know if coaching is, it, it shows me, man. Like I, I come into this situation where it's like, I don't have another choice. I can't imagine uh, not being on the phone with an entrepreneur trying to help them solve problems or just bouncing ideas around. And so fortunately, you know, I have a, that, that's my spirit of the puppy that says, let's go do this. My military science mindset says we can't just do it. We can't just like hop on the phone with people and shoot the breeze. Right. And so I've built an entire program that I believe is very, very helpful for folks to build the foundations that will allow them to finally stop struggling in their passion businesses and, and to find success through, you know, things like frameworks and, and finding flow. So yeah, to me, I, I don't think it was a choice. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I was, I was retired for a year. I didn't have any, I, I stopped working last November. I spent the entire year in service. I haven't had a single dollar collected. I haven't had a client. I haven't had a partner. I haven't had an employee. And, and I, I paid attention to what I did, Rich. What I did was I spent time with my wife and my daughter. I went to kickboxing and jujitsu every single day for about three hours. And I, I recorded podcasts and I got on the phone with entrepreneurs. That's what I did almost every single day. And so that's why when, I, when it was time to start thinking about what to do for this next business, I knew, knew, knew that it was going to be involved talking to folks like you every How did that feel like waking up and just saying, you know, I have nothing to do today? Because that's a, you know, a, a lot of people strive for that feeling and they seek it out. And you consciously went and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. How was that? Especially because you're wired again, just work, 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 you know, being of service. How did you, you know, know when to switch that off? I recommend it, but I wouldn't do it again. Really? Here's, okay. So my circumstance is a little bit unique, although not wholly unique. We moved from Chicago where there's buzz and energy and juice and entrepreneurs and young athletes. I mean, we're hanging out at my CrossFit gym with hundreds of amazing, cool people, you know, and we moved to rural Indiana. Shout out to Ogden Dunes. We're here in the Indiana Net Dunes National Park now at the same time that I sold my gym. And so because of that, it was a big change for me. It was a change to, uh, to lose momentum a little bit. I'm glad that I had the ability to do it. I'll never regret being able to launch a pot, excuse me, launch, a, ugh, excuse me, launch a podcast, spend more time with my daughter in the first year of her life, for goodness sake. And so those things were all very good. And certainly from like a wisdom perspective, I got to think about, you know, myself and my place in the world and how I can serve others best and all of those things. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, man, I'm a seeker, I'm a doer. And so I did get a little, a little bit stir crazy of like, well, I, I feel like I lost momentum. So much now has been just building momentum as we started to get ready for this launch. And man, looking at my calendar right now, it's like, we're popping, we're ready to rock. And I, I don't think I would put down the. It's like sitting at the top of the roller coaster waiting for the drop. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I, I, I can imagine. Obviously, as a podcaster, you know, you, you do the Spear and Clover podcast. What What pushed you to even jump into that space? Because think about it, you're doing you got coaching, you got all these businesses, you're doing all this stuff. It's like, oh, you know what? Let me just pile on another skill while I'm at it. 
you know, Rich, I only work 20 hours a week. So, you know, I'm, I, I got nothing to complain about when it comes to effort and, and, and time. Hopefully we're making an impact in that 20 hours a week. I was born to podcast. And so that that's not to say that I'm good at it. That's not to say that I hate the sound of my voice, all sorts of stuff, like everybody, right? But when I was a little boy, I went to a behavior disorder school that was about 40 minutes away. Okay. I was year round. And so every morning I would ride in my, in the bus, the bus would come pick me up and it would be a 40 minute in and 40 minute out. And she listened to talk radio. And then at night, uh, especially through like middle school and high school, I would, my mom didn't want me to do this, but I would sneak my little radio and I would listen to Loveline. And then I would listen to Art Bell in the evening. Yeah, I remember those. Brother Art Bell was Joe Rogan to like version 0.5 or whatever. Yep. Like it was, you know, conspiracy theories and time travelers. Aliens. Shifters, aliens. And the thing about Art Bell, not, not to like divert here, but the thing about Art Bell that was so great. By the way, I think he might still be doing that show. The thing about him that was so great is he would never push back he'd be like wow so you're an interdimensional time traveler what's that like yep. it was such a great player about that so then from there i go to the military woman what am i doing i'm listening to audible books every single day i just have always i i used to go to spoken word with my mom when i was coming of age i've just been a spoken word guy my whole life i will pick that over music almost every single time and so i knew just like I knew I would love jujitsu years and years before I ever did it. I knew that when I carved out space in my life to start a podcast that I would enjoy doing it. And I'll tell you right now, if I didn't enjoy doing it so much, I would just focus on being a guest because this is easy, man. I get to show up to it today, talk to you, Rich, have this great conversation, pull the pin on the grenade and just walk out of the room. That's it. Yeah. And so I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't, you know, take the time and effort to, to produce an episode and, and, you know, promote it on. So, yeah, I think that that's a big, a big part of it. I think that to to your point the the being surrounded by that kind of makes it a no-brainer to kind of want to explore it because much like you like my mom used to listen to our bell i'd hear it in her radio while she's sleeping at you know 2 a.m love line with dr drew was was a big thing it put me on to you know dr drew and uh who was the comedian that was with him line it was it was adam carolla who, who ended up becoming like a like a massive force in in podcasting later on and then here in New York, it was ONA and, and Stern. So like it, once you're surrounded by that stuff, it kind of, I always tell people it, it inadvertently weaves its way into your, into your thought process. And you go, yeah, man, I draw inspiration from that. And it's funny because if you listen to a lot of podcasters, they always, I want to say like 25 to 30% of them sound or try to deliver like Rogan does. Because they're so used to listening to Rogan or used to listening to like Tim Ferriss or used to listening to. So they approach it similar or, or Jocko Willink. And, and you kind of see that and you're like, those guys, those guys weave their way into your framework. And the thing about it is that when you do that, you don't have to, you don't have to imitate them. I always tell people, it's like, listen, take the, take the silly putty they give you and mold it into your own, into yourself. Like, don't, don't automatically just become a carbon copy of that guy because that guy's success is exactly that, his success. Yeah, that's a great point. I think for me, and this goes, by the way, for like social media too. I respect uh, Layla Harmo yep. wrote this one time and she was like, hey, if you're, if you're just sharing somebody else's memes, you're not adding any value. That's, that's just, you're a, you're a copy machine, right? I don't remember how she said it, but it just occurred to me like, yeah, if I read a book, you know, if I read Extreme Ownership by Jocko and I read Four Hour Work Week, those are different messages, but it's my job, if I want to be a professional at this, to synthesize those two ideas yep. through the dialectic and create this new third point of view and so much of of my career has been that you know when you 
when you can do a thing, you can sort of, when you can do a thing, you can sort of hold it up and see it from one direction. Right. You start to teach a thing. Now you have to, by definition, explore it in all different angles. And so it gives you a depth of knowledge and of understanding. It's just so much more thorough and and complete. And I think that that's what we try to do in the art form of podcasting, which is why inevitably, whenever I go for a speaking engagement or meet a bunch of entrepreneurs, particularly like the LinkedIn crowd, they're like, ooh, I think podcasting's pretty hot. I'm thinking about doing that. And I'll be like, how many hours every week do you listen to podcasts? Yep. Because no shit, I'm listening to 20 hours or more of podcasts while I'm awake. And I go to sleep with podcasts too. So it's like, I know I sound like a, a maniac here, but that's, that's just nope. me and my natural habit. Listen, I've been doing this since 2006. So I know, I know, <laughs> I, yeah, I know, I know exactly how that is. Yeah, man. You just blew my mind, Rich. Yeah, man. It, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a long ride. So yeah. Stop. What were you doing in 2006? That's unbelievable. What was your podcast about? I was doing a podcast called My Take Radio. And honestly, it was scratching a creative itch. I was, I loved comic books. I love video games, but I also loved MMA and I loved pro wrestling. So what I did was I create, yeah, I created a podcast that brought those four things together under one show. So I did it as a podcast. And then in 2009, I started doing it as a live call-in show, same style, like, like terrestrial radio. Uh, no, we used uh blog talk radio. They reached out. They were like, Hey man, you know, we got this call in service. And I asked a buddy of mine to be the call screener. And 416 episodes later, we were, you know, we, we crammed out, uh, talked to different professional wrestlers, mixed martial artists, uh, video game personalities, people in the film industry. It was wild. And then that served as the foundation to start like our podcast network. And everybody that ended up writing for the website we had, got the podcasting bug and then i taught them how to podcast so hero yeah it was wild but freaking legend yeah it, cool yeah it's it, 2006 yeah it was early man just a logitech microphone and audacity and speaking into the void and hoping for the best yeah crazy stuff i i wanted to ask before we move into into the next segment you know being a father now what lessons from fatherhood have you brought into your business because it's a life changer, man. It changes your entire perception because you stop working for yourself. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can answer that well. I think patience. Mm. I think podcasting and parenthood has given me patience. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, and I, I think that with a, as, as coaching, I think coaching is interesting because in phase one, let's say you, let's say you come about coaching in the right way, which means you're a subject matter expert. You've had success in the field that you actually want to help people in, which I think is like table stakes, right? Yep. Like you should at least have been there a little bit. Right. And so, so you step in the front door and step number one is like, I have all the answers. Just listen to me. And that's just not the most effective way to do it. You really, if if, for that to work, somebody needs to be so like immensely coachable and honestly, oftentimes not have some of the characteristics you want them to have. You want an entrepreneur to have like a point of view and strength and like courage of vision and things like that. And so if you actually want to impact like really strong entrepreneurs that can really make an impact on the world, you need to find a way to like become a part of their team and, and be shoulder to shoulder with them, not face to face, you know, we're arguing we're, we're illuminating. And so very quickly or not very quickly, but over time and through parenting, 
where there's just no logic built into that system yet, you know, but through parenting and through podcasting where I have to listen and not just wait to talk, not just think about what I'm going to ask next, but really actually listen and react to the person that I'm engaging in this conversation with, um, has made me a much better coach because now I'm, I'm actually present in the conversation. I'm actually on your side and I'm not convincing you to do the things that I think you should do. I'm helping to persuade you to do the things that you know you should. That's right. I think that, that, that one of the things as, as a, as a parent is we are, we're door openers for, for our kids. And I think that people kind of lose sight of how that applies to life. Because think about it, when you're, when you're closing a a coaching client, you're closing them on the basis that, listen, I'm going to help you open a door to a creative endeavor, to a business venture, to your next, your next big idea that you weren't a hundred percent sure of that I'm validating for you to help you open that door and take that next step. And I think that as parents, we do the same thing. Cause if you think about it, it's like, you know, you're teaching your kid, Hey, don't be scared of that dog or, Hey, you know, this is how you walk up the steps or, Hey, you're going to fall. It's okay. And I think that people don't take those lessons and really break them down to basics for the next part of their journeys. So, you know, the fact that you can see that is 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 great, man, because so many people just don't take lessons in the real world and apply it to their business like that. They just are like, oh, I read this book. I heard this podcast. I watched this talk and this is my entire identity to lead my business. And it's like, listen, Steve Jobs was a great leader, but Steve Jobs was an asshole. And I think that that's what people kind of, you know, they're like, yeah, man. Or, or you know, look what's happening with with Twitter. You know, like everybody thought Elon Musk is this amazing innovator. And, you know, the people that are getting fired from Twitter beg beg to differ. I don't know, man. The Elon thing, I think, is too current for me to really comment on. But one thing I'll tell you is I think anybody could be an amazing coach. And I think this is interesting because there's like, like, what does an amazing coach really do? Do they tell you what to do or do they ask you questions that ultimately reveal what you should do? And I think the people now don't get me wrong. Let's maybe draw some some lines to like kind of clarify what I mean here. There are people that are I would call tactical gurus or tactical teachers or people that basically sell you a playbook, right? Right. I'm going to teach you how to run marketing. I'm going to teach you how to, how to, you know, structure your classes. I'm going to teach you how to build out, you know, a salon. I'm going to teach you where the seats should go and where the plugs need to be. That's a different thing. That's not what I'm referring to. If if you're teaching somebody how to do something, this is just a modern way to convey information. It's, it's It's an alternative to college, right? If you say like, Hey man, I'm a pizza shop owner. I've opened 20 of them. They're all profitable. I'm just going to show you how to open a pizza shop. That's great. When we talk about coaching, it's much more about standing side by side. It's, it's, I mean, you think about Tom Brady needing Bill Belichick. You think about Michael Jordan needing Phil Jackson. Yep. You need that objective third party to be like, Hey man, you're doing great, but do you think maybe you could do this? Do you think maybe you could do that? Ask, you know, challenging them, asking these questions that, that anybody could ask. Like anybody could ask you, you know, hey, Rich, I know your business is going great, but let me ask you this. If I sent you all the growth you could possibly handle, what part of your business would break first? That's not a monumental question that nope. I have to come up with in a lab. No, nope. but that right there will tell you the speed limit for your business and it will tell you what the priority is if you want to get it moving again. And so it's one of those things. I have a, a, a young guy now, Mo, that works for me. He's my first employee in the new business and Mo's 24 years old. And he's my brother from another mother, man. He's like a second brain walking outside of my body. And one day I was driving through the Appalachian Mountains. I was on a call with him and I was just asking him questions. I was like, hey, so how did you do so well in jujitsu and in swimming? And he's answering these questions one at a time. 
And over the course of this conversation, just by asking him questions about how he lives his life, I was like, dude, you could run a business. You can coach any business owner at no, at any level. The only thing stopping him, because the way he lives his life is virtuous and honorable, and he does the things he says he's going to do, and he asks for help when he needs it, and he works his ass off. He could be a titan of industry. So what's what remains? All that remains is this ad hominem thing where it's like, but who are you? Because apparently we care about that. And that's right. I understand it's valid, but that's all that's left is the ad hominem thing. Well, tell me about where you're coming from so I know whether or not I should listen to what you're saying mm -hmm. or know whether or not I should answer this question honestly. That's right. You know, it's like, uh, hey, that painting's blue. Do you have a background in painting? <laughs> it's true. I think that too many people gift wrap themselves in, in ideologies instead of being in terms of where their paths are going to lead. I think, you know, people are like, you know, my dad was a carpenter. I'm going to be a carpenter. My kid's going to be a carpenter. And it's like, well, instead of doing that, why don't you teach carpentry? <laughs> you know, like, why don't you teach carpentry? Why don't you start a wood shop YouTube channel? Why don't you, you know, do, do, you know, custom furniture on TikTok, et cetera. And then all of a sudden it's like, I could do that. It's like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I think I think, too, there there's, of course, limiting beliefs is a word that I'm sure you and I both use often every day. And, and we all have them. And I think I think same thing as before. You know, there's levels to this game. There's levels to your understanding. And at one level, you go like, oh, I found out that I have a limiting belief. But then there's like a whole nother level where you're like, OK, where are my limiting beliefs? Because I re I get that dopamine when I realized once I remove one or re reduce one, I go, oh, wow, this is easier now. And I get more money. Okay, cool. All right, where's the next one? And you start to really, really start to look for them more and more. And honestly, talking to folks like you on podcasting, even I've found has helped me kind of with meta analysis and stuff like that. Because you, you see, you hear stuff coming out of your mouth as an answer to a question. You're like, no, oh, there you go. I think in some ways that's what we provide for. There you go. I want to just switch gears for a second. We're going to, I want to get into our, our hot seat segment. You know, we're going to go through a couple rapid fire questions based on our conversation. First one is easy. You know, what's a, what's a typical Monday morning like for you? So every day is the same for me, except for the weekends because society won't let me. <laughs> yep. Every morning I wake up and spend time with my wife and daughter, Lucy, and then I go to jujitsu and kickboxing, sometimes just one or the other, depending on how much time I have with helping my wife and baby out. And then quick shower and lunch. I work from one until five on productive work. That's podcasting. That's coaching. That's building new products. That's whatever. And then at around five, I stop. We, uh, we make dinner. Lucy has bedtime, bath and bedtime. And then Donna and I that's a, that's a, that's a great schedule. Now, obviously with podcasting, you know, I see you got your, your, your shore in there. You got all your stuff. You, how's your prep work when it comes to podcasting? Do you, are you somebody that has a lot of intricate notes? Do you kind of feel that you just have bullet points and then tackle the conversation as it goes? How's your, how's your methodology when it comes to approaching your podcast? So I would say typically, what is Larry King? I like the Larry King model of, I don't know anything about you and I'm just going to ask you questions. However, one caveat is my good friend now, Ryan Sprague, who's a cannabis coach, fantastic human being. He honored me when I came on his show the first time by this beautiful write-up that had not a single word from my bio, right? And he spent maybe probably 15 minutes just writing, sort of like figuring out who I was and writing, Jason cares about this and he's passionate about that really like painting a beautiful picture. And I just realized when he did it and I stopped in the conversation, I was like, dude, nobody 
honors people unless they're dead or married or something. Right. You don't honor people enough. And so I've really tried to make an effort of spending a little bit of time before a podcast just to have a really beautiful kind of honoring introduction for that person because what i find is you can see it lift them they they're more buoyant they're they're happy to be there they feel honored and and so that's the only thing that i do for research and then from there it's very much like what you're doing here which is just kind of reacting and and engaging and and listening there you go what's the first place you go to when you open your phone probably instagram right now really that's that that's become the platform of choice huh hate facebook i'm 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 trying to move everything i can to discord if i can and and the world is telling me not to but i'm that a guy like you will give me a little support on that i tell people all the time i go listen man always make sure that every platform which is a breadcrumb leads back to your house whatever it is whether it's your website your mailing list your discord because at the end of the day if the you know going back to referencing twitter if twitter folds tomorrow and you built your entire identity on that platform guess what it's gone so now what? Now you got to rebuild someplace else. So here's the thing. Get people off of there to follow you wherever it is that you want your home base to be and wherever you want your your tribe to flourish. And whether that's your own Discord server or, you know, Facebook group, whatever it is, lead them there because clearly that's the only way you're going to make sure that your 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 bag is secured, you know? What's three mobile apps you can't live without? My camera. I mean, I could be waving my camera, my my text messages, and my my Chrome. Right. I mean, right. those are those are the three things I can't live without. And honestly, I'm I'm struggling to think of anything that I use I, that I would value other than that. How many? How much? How much has your camera usage gone up since becoming a father? Oh, oh my gosh, so much. Yep. This mirrorless camera I'm talking to you through right now has been instrumental in being a father. Oh man, I I remember. It's like, oh, I used to get a phone with large stores just for my own creative itch. And now it's like, look, I, it, like now I create folders for every year that my kid's alive, you know? And I'm like, oh, here's year three. I took, you know, 3,000 photos for year three. There you go. What What's something that you recently looked up on YouTube for yourself? What is the engineering tolerance of Legos? Really? Yes. <laughs> no. I wanted to know what the tolerance is. This, okay, so this is a great question because it could have been anything. Yeah. That is actually something I looked up. I wanted to know what the engineering tolerance for Legos was because I was like, they stick together so well time and time again. Like, is it the material that's like acquiescing or is it like a certain like, and it's, it turns out it's like two millionths of, it's like two, two thousandths of a millimeter is the, the oh man. And the incredible pain when you step on one. <laughs> And they, they're compressed under like 25 tons of pressure. Wow. And I just learned something new then. What's something you purchased recently that's less than $100 that's made your life just easier or just more enjoyable? Nice. Simon. Simon. Best gift, best gift I've ever gotten. Simon came out when I was like the right age for Christmas. Yep. And I got Simon one year. But this is a story. I snuck down before everybody woke up and I opened up all my presents. (laughs) And so my dad took them all back, locked them in this, you know, the little Harry Potter room under this. Yep. And I earned back one present per week. And this was the marquee present. That's awesome. This is like stuck in my brain. That's tremendous. What was the last book you read? I am currently, so Essentialism is the last book I completed and I'm currently rereading Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Both of those are like Hall of Fame books. Absolutely. What was the last TV show you watched with your missus? 
we just finished Seinfeld and we started Curb, which is kind of like a routine. <laughs> nice. Obviously, we talk a little tech. What was one of your favorite toys growing up besides Simon? So I bought a power glove for Nintendo when I was really little. And I immediately cut the cable off of it and the gun so that I could play rope. That is outstanding. I was young, at least. Yeah, man, I think of skateboards. I think of, you know, I played a lot of Nintendo and N64, of course. But yeah, man, I, I think mostly tech wasn't a big part of it. Mostly I was out. Nice. Being a kid. Speak, speaking of that, what did you want to be when you were a kid? I don't know if I could have. I, I don't know. A ninja? Probably. I was, I was hell on wheels, dude. I would like set traps in the backyard with like cinder blocks and like punji sticks dug into holes and like, uh, people would come around the corner and I'd jump on their back and try to rear naked choke them. My dad introduced me to the UFC in 1993. Nice. So it was like, it was awful. That's tremendous. All right. On the trade side of things, who was your favorite content creator? Who's my favorite content creator? I mean, I guess Joe Rogan would probably be if, if, the same. right the person that i admire i really think mr beast is tremendous i you know i started really like appreciating his content over the last few years and i watched the video where trick-or-treaters came to his door and he gave him a stack of money and the thing about it was that i'm a very big believer that i dislike social media stunts for the sake of clicks meaning that you're doing charity for clicks you know when somebody does the swipe and pays for somebody's groceries and oh that's so nice i'm like i'm like listen just do it and, and and walk off like not everything needs to be and for mr beast i thought that was genuine because think about it any random child could have knocked on that door and they would have got a stack of money it didn't matter and that was that was cool that was just a great equalizer yeah i totally agree but to comment to react to your point about the other thing when i see some like guy that kind of looks disheveled and some kid walks up and goes, here's a thousand bucks. I'm kind of like, you just kind of bought that dude's dignity. Mm -hmm. Leave me alone, man. Like, you don't know my life. I might, I might have a lot of money in the bag. Yep. That whole little genre, I think it's, I think it's just swagger. You know, I think it's just people trying to, try to big time and, and kind of, you know, conspicuous. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I just find it so, so skeevy. But he's not that way. Nope. I think part of it is the glam element of it. He's so over the top and it's, it's so fun and you can see him having fun giving it away. Yep. And it's, there, there's moments, I think that, I think some people are tone deaf to this, but there's moments, the people in culture that we like when they do wild shit, Steve-O, when, when they do wild shit, you can see that they're loving doing it and you're not the butt of their joke. You're right. in on their joke. Whereas like when you listen to, let's say the jerky boys in, in comparison to Steve-O or, or Jackass, when you listen to them, it's like, no, you're the asshole. They're, yep. they're making you an asshole and they're profiting from it. Yep. And I think in general, I don't like mean spirited stuff like that. Yep. I think, like I said, the, the Halloween one was good when he asks people if they're subscribed to his channel and then they get like a car or something. Like there was one with a woman, she got a car and the little kid, her son that was with her was like, this is the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, man, you know, like that's just, you can't. You can't manufacture that. And that's just good, good hearted stuff. What's a myth that you feel you pretty much shattered when it came to business or personal development? I think probably that you have to spend a lot of money on advertising in order to find success. Hell yeah. I agree with that. What's something you've changed your mind on in the last 12 months? That. 
Really? Uh, yeah, it was like I I just proved it to myself the other day. So we didn't talk about it a lot, but I'm I'm a financial analyst by training. So I I uh, used to analyze companies and and determine if they're credit worthy, whether or not we would lend them millions and millions of dollars, right? And so I'm a very that that military mindset. This is not my nature, but I, I can get into spreadsheets and actually have found kind of the connective tissue where I love doing it. And so I model quite a bit. And one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is it's easy for me to understand a sales funnel. I spend this much in my advertising. And if you're listening, this is boring. I'm sorry. No. I spend this much on advertising. I get this many clicks. I get this many opt-ins. I get this many schedules, this many shows, this many closes. This is my front end cash. This is my long-term value, right? That's a sales. Yep in 10 seconds. But if I ask you how much you make as a podcast guest, or if I ask you how much you make as a referral person, well, there's all this sort of nebulous data that has to be understood in order to really track that. And so it's absolutely, like, it's things like what percentage of my time are spent, you know, marketing myself organically. What do I pay somebody to manage my social media? How many referrals have I gotten? Have those referrals turned into leads and sales. Well, I actually did that model for myself and I'd be happy to send you one. Um, did that model for myself. And I found out that as of right now, today, I'm about in parity with what I would get in my previous business, which was consulting for gym owners. Ads is about $1,000 to acquire a high ticket. I'm talking a high ticket entrepreneur, right? But here's the beauty of that. And something that I think Gary Vee knows, and I think Grant Cordon knows, and I think all those guys that are really doing this, like moving chips on the table, the ads, if I want to spend, if I want to go out and buy a client, which I do, here's a thousand dollar bill, boom, buy a client. Here's a thousand dollar bill, boom, buy a client. This is good. This is a conveyor belt, right? But what I figured out the other day, and it was, should have been obvious, was <laughs> let's say it cost me a thousand dollars to get four clients. So I'm spending $4,000 a month just to make this simple. I can spend the same $4,000 a month. I can level up my, my knowledge. I can level up my ability to edit. I can level up the real audio that I use. I can get a bigger following over time. And by definition, my cost to acquire a client will come down approach to approach zero because I will spend a similar amount of money, but I will wield a much bigger audience and a much bigger impact. And so I'm giving it away for free here today, Rich. But but that that to me was like, oh, I'm never going to do another paid ad until I feel like I've capped that out, which I I think I think that's a that's tremendous that you shared that because I think too many people get stuck in the keeping up with the Joneses, meaning you know, you consume, you know, Alex Harmozy's content, Gary V's content. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to use Gary V's $1.84 strategy. And it's like, you realize that his whole $1.84 strategy is based on you actually doing the work. Like, think about it. There's no ads. There's nothing. It's you going in, DMing, messaging, being active. If you don't have the dispensable time to do that, you've already lost. So it doesn't matter what the strategy is. If you don't got the gumption to do it, you're not, it's not going to, it's not going to succeed. So the fact that you came to that realization is huge because a lot of people are like, oh, I could just buy ads on Facebook for $3 and I'll get my customers. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. But I mean, if you, if you could just measure the amount of time <laughs> and distance traveled that has been wasteful based on shortcuts, buddy, it would fill volumes for right. everybody. I want to be a, I want to be a podcaster, but I don't like podcasting. I want to have a social media presence and be an influencer, but I don't want to post consistently interesting information yep. or work on the content. I want to be a Facebook. I want to be a, I want to be a podcast coach, but I don't want a podcast. <laughs> I want, I mean, I know these people, man. And it's like, I don't know. Why don't you actually try to find something that you actually enjoy doing? Because there's a guy with a fishing channel that has a million and a half followers. And it's not because he bought Facebook ads. It wouldn't happen to be J and H tackle, right? Right. I don't even know. I don't okay. Know. Oh no. I I'll yeah. tell you why. There's a guy J J and H tackle. He's he he was my best man at my wedding. He he has a tackle shop, 
in in Oakdale in, in Long Island. And he's one of the few tackle shops that does YouTube and TikTok and all that stuff. And he's like, listen, my, you know, I've 10 X my business. Are you familiar with Ammo? Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. So Ammo is a detail shop. Mm-hmm. He tells a documentary story. We uncovered this Porsche 911 1969 in Chet's barn. Yep. It's been out of, you know, nobody's seen it in, since 1978. Mm-hmm. It's all covered. And he takes you through this whole journey. And by the end of it, it looks showroom quality, brand new. And he's got it. It's, that dude gets it, right? He's, he's putting the time into doing the thing that he cares about. Jay Leno's garage, man. Jay Leno's a millionaire. And Rogan talks about this, but mm-hmm. Jay Rogan's a millionaire. And he was doing something he didn't give a shit about. You watch him on Jay Leno's garage and he knows stuff the mechanics don't know cares about it he's interested he's getting down on his hands and knees and looking under the car he's a kid in a candy shop i want to be that way i want to be in a business where that's how i feel about what i do you know 100 percent. last one how do you handle failure and has the way you handled failure changed over time i yes it has i look for struggle now so i think there's there's three levels to this there's one and i'll use the metaphor of being in the car you're in the car and somebody cuts you off and you just get hot angry And if you're like me, you pull the car over when you're 17 and you stand out on the road and you fight that person, right? Like that's, that's like level one. This is hopefully in everybody's rear view mirror. But if you're listening to this and that's where you're at, like take a breath, bro. Level two is like you're driving along, somebody cuts you off and you go like, you get really angry. And then you go like, you know, serenity now. And you like dial it back and you, and you calm down. And then level three, which I've only recently hit, and I'm not always there. I'm not, you know, the Buddha. Level three is like, I hope somebody cuts me off today so I get a great story. And it's like, I'm actually going out looking for struggle at this point because struggle is the thing that that breaks my current homostasis and lets me accelerate into the next level. And so to me, I actually hunt for struggle. No good stories, Rich. Start and end with everything went according to plan. I agree a thousand percent, my friend. That is, a, that is a badge of honor I'm proud to wear. Last last segment of our conversation, we like to call Reach One, Teach One. We frame it differently for everyone. You're chosen to speak in front of a group of high school seniors, some of which are going into college, some of which are going into the military. What's one piece of advice you would give them before they embark on that journey? The bigger your impact that you want to make, the longer you should expect for it to take. That's outstanding and a, and a perfect way to bookend our conversation. Jason, where can people find you? What calls to action do you have for our audience to help you? First of all, I want you to go to Rich's page and like his stuff, follow his stuff. If you've made it this far in the conversation, you belong here. This is part of, you're part of this tribe and he is pouring his heart out and doing amazing stuff for, for you for free. So go like that first. If you still have any interest, swing by www.spearandclover.com. We have free programs there. You can find me on Instagram as my preferred platform, as I mentioned, at Spear and Clover, at Jason Skisick. And then across all platforms, I'm either at Spear and Clover or at Jason Skisick. Very, very awesome. Jason, thank you truly for taking the time to share the toys and tech of your trade. I am honored to have gotten to speak with you. Thank you so much. Appreciate having me on. Man, what a great conversation with Jason. His energy was infectious. He dropped so much amazing information, so many great tools, so many great resources, and more importantly, just a a great insight into his mindset, which again, like I said, with his energy and the infectious approach that he takes to life in general, I not only felt fired up, but I really had just a, a great conversation with him. And I look forward to 
speaking more with him in the future. Make sure to check out the Spear and Clover podcast so you can enjoy all of Jason's great stories and conversations with other renegade entrepreneurs. And we'll make sure to put links to that in the show notes for this episode, as well as links to everything Jason and I discussed. As always, full disclosure, some of those items may contain affiliate links, which if you click, we will receive a small commission at no additional cost to you, which of course goes towards continuing to deliver great content via our various platforms, whether it's the website, the podcast network, this podcast, or any place else we may be. That's where those affiliate dollars go. So every click on one of those links, we truly, truly appreciate. As always, if you want to keep up with Rageworks, the Rageworks podcast network, toys and tech of the trade, feel free to punch those in your social media platform of choice and you will find us because we are pretty much everywhere at this point even Pinterest. Um, Last but not least, if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode of Toys and Tech of the Trade and share your stories with us and our audience, feel free to email me rich at rageworks.net or visit the Rageworks network, fill out the contact form there, and we'll get back to you and schedule you and share your story with our audience. I love talking to different people from different walks of life that just operate very differently because There's a lot of great lessons you can take from their stories, and there's a lot that we can learn from each other. That's enough of me running my trap. Let's get out of here, and I'll see you guys in two weeks. Thank you for all your continued support, and we'll see you next time on Toys and Tech of the Trade.
Toys and Tech of the Trade is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network, your source for rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. Visit us at RageWorksNetwork.com.